0: The FT. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Brooke Masters. Joining me in the studio today is Patrick Jenkins, banking editor, and Daniel Schaefer, investment banking correspondent. In this week's podcast, we'll look at the Spanish banking system after a recent report into 14 banks found that they could need up to 60 billion euros in new capital. We'll also take a look at J.P. Morgan's recent deal that saw it snap up three-quarters of the first European mortgage bond launched since the financial crisis. And finally, we'll discuss all the regulatory pressures on the banking sector, including Ed Miliband's comments at the Labour Party conference, where he warned that a future Labour government might split up Britain's banks, as well as efforts in Europe to also consider some sort of ring fence for trading activities. First, let's turn to the Spanish banks. Patrick, you've been following this issue, and we're actually in Spain last week.
1: I was, yeah. I was in uh, Madrid for a few days last week, which was kind of timely because we had the results of this stress test that the Spanish banking system has been going through. As you say, 14 banks were stress tested in a fairly rigorous process run by Oliver Wyman with observation by the IMF, the ECB and lots of different bodies. But I think they've come up with a number for recapitalization, 60 billion, which had been Um, pretty well trailed. So in that sense, no surprises. I think the fact that seven banks failed out of 14, probably not huge surprises there either. The one number that stood out was Banco Popular, which is Spain's sixth biggest bank needing a recapitalization of at least 3.2 billion, which is frankly, is going to struggle to raise that kind of money in the markets.
0: Isn't that pretty close to its market value?
1: It's just slightly less than its market value. So if it did want to go with any kind of rights issue, that would be obviously a huge huge challenge. It's not actually outlined yet how it's going to meet the threshold other than not take state aid. So it's unofficially drawn up a list that hasn't communicated yet over the past few weeks of how it might raise about 2 billion euros in terms of asset sales, in terms of uh, liability management exercises, buying out debt and so on. But to raise more than 3 billion is going to be a bit of a push, I think.
0: Sounds like it's tough.
1: Beyond that, I think the question is, is this exercise, despite it being pretty robust, enough to restore confidence in the spanish banking sector and i think the answer is probably not again despite as i say the robustness of the of the exercise in itself The question is, was it too narrowly focused? Firstly, it's just looking at loans, and they did a fairly robust sample of the overall lending book, but it didn't extend to other problems that the banks might have. For example, the extent of their corporate exposures. So, a lot of banks have big stakes in Spanish companies whose value has fallen a lot over the past months, and the kind of write down of those stakes wasn't involved in this test. There's also those who question the parameters of the test, test itself saying that the stresses applied to the property market weren't as extreme as in Ireland and yet there's no reason to f- really think that the Spanish property market is at any less trouble than the Irish property market. So those are some core reasons to do with the test itself why you might not think this is the end of it but I suppose the, the broader question is that the troubles of the Spanish economy and the circularity of the whole trouble for the banking sector has just got worse really, in terms of the budgetary situation in the regions and other political issues for the Spanish government, which in turn, given that the Spanish banks own so much of Spanish sovereign debt could come back and, and haunt them again. So I think, uh, in short, it'll be a while yet before international investors are piling back into Spanish bank equities.
0: Do we think that the EU's new rescue fund, which is sort of slowly moving ahead, is going to have to be pulled in? And can it handle this much?
1: It's definitely going to be used in some to some degree. The Spanish government has still been pretty reluctant to actually press the button on that. But I think there's some technical reasons for that. It's just a matter of time, I think. Clearly, there's 100 billion available. And this capital shortfall is, is less than 60 billion. So in that sense, it should be enough. But as I say, the, the the big question is whether other holes appear in the months ahead. And I don't think there's going to be any clean solution to any of this really
0: doesn't sound like it's gonna be a lot of fun for the folks in spain
1: i think that's probably true
0: on a slightly more optimistic note should we turn to daniel who's been covering the jp morgan new plunge into mortgage securities
2: Re- reporting uh, this week that jp morgan has snapped up three quarters of what was the first european commercial mortgage bond that was launched since the financial crisis so since 2007 it is a 754 million uh, euro CMBS transaction with residential mortgages of so flats and and family houses in Germany. And the interesting thing about it is actually twofold. One is it's been the, as I said, the first issuance since the financial crisis. So it's it's a signal that this market that has been non-existent since the financial crisis is coming back to life again and secondly we're seeing jp morgan's cio the famous chief investment office that had a 5.8 billion dollar loss this year through an investment done in london by the so-called whale that, that made headlines this year and you know brought jp morgan into a public relations disaster frankly we're seeing this reappear again as an investor in the european market
0: So once again, they're taking a very, very large stake that makes them vulnerable.
2: I I wouldn't say that necessarily, because actually, I mean, uh, what the CIO was initially created for is basically to invest JP Morgan's excess liquidity. And they've got quite a lot of that because they've got excess deposits. So they've got, you know, several hundred billion typically of, of, of excess liquidity. And what it's supposed to do is to invest it in good quality, not very risky paper and obviously they didn't do that as it seems with the with what caused the loss because they invested in a very non liquid market in credit in the sales in the u s for corporate credit risky stuff really but in th- this investment is something that the CIO has been doing for quite a long time during the financial crisis particularly in the UK and in the Netherlands as well they're buying mortgage bonds that are that typically had a had a lower default rate than say for instance corporate loans so i think it's it's showing that the chief investment office is doing what it was initially you know supposed to do
1: i think the interesting thing as you say is that it's getting back into what it was doing a lot of before i think from memory they were dominating maybe with two-thirds to three-quarters of the the take-up of UK UK residential mortgage-backed securities um, over the past couple of years. And I think there had been some concerns in the market that all of a sudden with the CIO blow up you'd have had the biggest appetite for buying that kind of stuff would would be gone just because they might retrench and or change the whole way that they invested so i'm sure the market as a whole will probably be quite comforted by the fact that JP Morgan's still signaling that it's out there in this in yeah. this area.
2: They actually essentially they're repeating what they did last time in the UK market as well because in 2009 basically the UK market grinded to a halt. And then after that, in 2010, JP Morgan emerged as a buyer on the UK market and and they bought up a lot of RMBS paper. And by doing that, they basically dominated the, the market at the time and they basically signaled to other investors, you know, it's safe to go into this market and then the other investors became interested. When other investors came in into the market, basically JP Morgan's role in it d- diminished slightly. They're, basically, they're hoping to to play The same game on the continental European level now, you know, they're playing a pivotal role in in kickstarting this market. Although I have to say that the market is somewhat limited as well, because I don't presume that in many places in Southern Europe, you would get a CMBS backed by residential mortgages, say in Spain or something, you would get a a, CMBS issuance going. And this one is a very special one. It's German property. I'm German, I know that German housing markets, their prices don't move. So it's like, you know, it's there's, there's no risk in there, you know, so they don't crash neither. So it's a very safe play. It's in places like, you know, in the north of Germany, like Kiel, which are quite wealthy places where, where you wouldn't have a sudden crash of the housing market because prices haven't gone up as much in the past neither.
1: Yeah, so, when we see JP investing in Spanish CMBS, that's when we know the crisis is over.
2: <laughs> yes,
0: yeah. switch from uh, plain vanilla to tutti-frutti there. Exactly. Should we move on now to regulatory pressures? Patrick, we heard over the weekend that Labour has some big plan that they will split off banks if everybody isn't good.
1: Well, that's what made the headlines. Absolutely. I think it's the predictable politicking that you get at annual conference season with Ed Miliband, the Labour leader, threatening to break up the banks again. I think probably what this really amounts to is a threat that if there isn't a, a proper implementation of the Vickers Commission proposals with ring fencing around retail banks, which, to be fair, the present government is pushing ahead with and it's due to happen over the coming years, and actually banks are planning now on how they're going to do it, and they have to, they're going to have to get there by 2019. If that weren't to happen, he's saying, basically, the quote is either they can do it themselves, which is frankly not what is happening in the past year, or the next Labour government will, by law, break up retail and investment banks. I mean, I think, you know, realistically, by 2015, if Labour did come in after an election, then the banks are going to be a long way down the road anyway. The environment for this happening is quite an interesting one because in Europe we've got the broader Licken review, which is basically the Vickers Commission at a European level. This is Erki Licken and the Finnish central bank chief who is due to come out on Tuesday with his plans for the structural change that banks need to go through. What we know about that is it's likely to recommend a ring fence of its own, but very differently structured so that it would be around the trading assets of banks rather than around the retail banking.
0: So kind Uh, of a mashup between Volcker, which says no prop trading with the main bank, and Vickers, which says ring fence something.
1: Exactly. And it could, depending on exactly how trading is defined, be far more strict because if you say all of trading needs to be ring fenced rather than just proprietary trading, for example – then it'll be big consequences there for the likes of Deutsche Bank, clearly, BNP. If it applies, and there's no reason why it shouldn't do, to UK banks, then obviously for Barclays as well, for example. The big question on that would be, how would banks actually be able to fund that? Because if you have the
2: investment banking side ring fenced and standing on its own, it does sound almost impossible to me, particularly in in the current market situation, but even beyond that to... To fund an investment bank on its own, so
1: yeah, I think it it makes it much more vulnerable to the vagaries of financial market liquidity, really. Mm.
0: And on top of that, we've got the Basel Committee saying that they're going to try to do a net stable funding ratio, which would mean you can be less reliant on wholesale funding for your investment banking activities. Yeah. So it is a bit of a pylon where we've got ring fencing here, ring fencing there, funding controls. We're not often deeply sorry for the banks, but it does seem like they're getting pulled in a lot of directions. They're getting it end.
1: from every direction at the moment. I Absolutely. I think the banks still feel that they need to lobby quietly behind the scenes rather than shout about it because, you know, no one listens in public. The extent of change at the moment does make me feel as if there is a a lot of ill feeling behind the scenes that could could be vented in public very soon.
0: I think so. And it's also going to be interesting, the corporates are beginning to wake up, you see the European corporate treasurers and the UK corporate treasurers as well, getting more involved and saying, look, if you take away these trading activities, we can't hedge. We actually need these banks to be on the other side of our deals. And so it'll be interesting to see because you know the likes of Rolls Royce have a lot more goodwill than say the likes of Barclays.
1: Well I think that's one thing that the banks have consciously been doing actually is to try to get their corporate clients on side and communicate their lobbying effort because they're more credible counterparties.
0: That's it for this week. All that's left is to thank Patrick and Daniel for their contributions and you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at www.ft.com forward slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Katie Carney. Till next week. Goodbye.
1: For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash
2: podcasts.